copyrighted program created by Rio Grande. Monday morning, March 14th, 1932. 
standing before the huge safe in his office, Manager George Evans pauses an instant in pride and gloating at the thought of the sight that will greet his eyes in a moment. Inside the safe, more than $3,000 in bills and silver, the weekend receipt of his theater. Then, shaking off the momentary preoccupation, he kneels, consults a small slip of paper, begins twirling the glistening silver-plated dial to his appointed mark. Left, then right, then left again. Suddenly, a small click of falling tumblers, a twist of the handle, and Manager Evans' face gleams with satisfaction as the door swings open. There. Now, this little dog. And there it is. Oh. What? Well, it's... Well, it's got to be here. Good Lord. Coffinet. Coffinet. He knows the combination. He was here first this morning. Coffinet. Coffinet! Come in here. Come in here quickly, Sam. Charging you, George. Run, throw the charges. Sure. What's the matter? The face. Look for yourself. You've gone. Everything gone. Couldn't be. That's impossible. Impossible, it is. Well, look for yourself, man. First I lose money on investments. Then I lose money in the theater business. Now, now I lose money for my face. How could it be, George? Only two people know the combination. Yes. You are one of them, Sam. You also. You call the police. Yes. You want to know things, Sam. I want to know something too, George. Do call the police. Uh, all right. Hello? Give me the police, please. Yes, that's right. The police. I want to report a robbery. Yes, that's right. A robbery. <laughs> In response to the call, Captain Frank Katzenberg was in charge of the face detail, accompanied by Detective Lieutenant George Chilton and C.A. Appledorn, covered the four blocks in as many minutes. Rushing upstairs to the manager's office, they find themselves practically having to battle their way in through a group of excited people covering the small room. Take the fellow, leaves the box office, and makes the money, and the untold takes it upstairs. 
And I opened the safe, and John Walsh here puts the money in. And is supposed to lock it. Well, last night, the same thing happened. I opened the safe about 10.15, and about 10.30, I... Well, I can prove I left then. Once can tell you that I left before the money was put away. Yeah, you could have come back after and opened the safe again. What? Don't try to be funny in a time like this. Yeah, you could have. Couldn't you? Keep it calm, boys. Keep it calm. Now, what all is, who was the last one to actually see the money inside the safe? I, I guess I was. Joe Walsh? That's right. Well, I better tell you a story. Well, after the last performance started, I went to the box office and got the money box, and, and Miss Loth and I took it up and counted it together. That took us about 15 minutes, and Miss Loth left right away. Then Evans came in and opened the safe. He's right when he says he left at 10.30. He did. And I was alone from then until about 11 o'clock. I was counting out $100 and change for the next day, and when I finished that, I put it in and locked the door in the inner safe. In your safe? There's two of them? Yes, a big one and a smaller one inside. Did you know the combination of either one? No, no one did, but Mr. Evans and Mr. Coppola. All right, go on with your story. Yeah, go ahead. Tell us again about locking the safe. You're sure about that, are you? I'm absolutely certain that I locked the inner safe. All right, all right. Then what did you do? Well, at 11 o'clock, I went to check some of the earphones that we have for patients or a heart of earphones that we have for patients or a heart of earphones that we have for patients or a heart of earphones. What's going to check here? Phones. We've got an outside serviceman who's supposed to do that. You had no right to roam around in the theater. Just a minute. I have a written order from the main office to investigate a complaint that the earphones were not working properly. I can produce that order if you'd like to. I don't believe your story at all. All right, let him finish. Well, that's about all, officer. I left a little before midnight. All right, where did you go after you left the theater? Was straight home? Yes, I left my laundry at a little place around the corner, and then I took a streetcar home. You found a laundry open at midnight? No, the laundry wasn't open. I put it in the shoes that they had. What kind of a container was your laundry in? What? Oh, thank you, Jimmy. You think I might have had the money wrapped in my laundry? Well, I had a shirt and three collars and a pasteboard box, that's all. I guess I'm in a bad spot, all right, but I'd like you to remember that I don't know the combination of the safe. Well, it was an inside job. That safe wasn't blown or Jimmy. Someone unlocked it by using the combination. Evans and Coppernet are the only ones who have the combination. Even if I know it, I wouldn't rob my own safe. Perhaps you mean that I did. I can account for every minute after I left it in. I didn't do it. You didn't do it. I think you should put somebody in jail and sweat the truth out of him. I have my idea. I didn't be afraid I run away. I'm as anxious as you ought to get this man to clean it up. Laser, Evans, and Wallace are taken to headquarters where each man is questioned thoroughly, but for no gain. The most intensive drilling fails to chase their flashing stories. Walsh defeats that Evans and Coppernick are the only ones who know the combination of the safe. Laser advances the contention that Walsh failed to put the money in the safe at all. Evans simply states that he can prove that he left the theater before the money was put away. The men are released, and officers Captain Berger and Appledorn go farther afield in their quest for facts. The owner of the candy store tells of seeing Walsh acting suspiciously near the theater on the night of the robbery. The employees of the theater claim that Walsh is innocent. The fact that Evans and Coppernick are losing money suggests the robbery might have been performed for the insurance that would be collected. Facts, supposition, personal feelings all into the case. All lead nowhere. It develops into a hopeless tangle. The police are baffled because two people, unknown to them and forgotten by the suspects, cultured the scene that finally developed into the drama enacted on the night of March 18th. The simple friendship of James Hill and Ruth Becker for Evans, the manager of the theater, sets the stage for the action. The two people are in Hill's apartment after being at the theater for the evening show. That's why I like it. It was sad the way they ended it, but, well, I don't know. It was right, I think. Yeah. It was good, all right. Say, why did you give me that funny look after the show when we were with Evans in the office? Mm, I don't know. 
I was just surprised at all the money you put in the safe, I guess. Is that all you were thinking about? No, that's all. What? I was just wondering. Did you notice the piece of paper he had? Yeah. yeah I noticed it all right. It was a combination, wasn't it? No. It was a combination. I'd like to have a save with all that money in it, wouldn't you? Sure. I'd like to have a lot of money like that. No. Hey, it's going to be impossible to do anything like that. How could we? Forget I said anything about it. Put it under. I'm sure of it. Time passes. The thought of the money in the safe grows in Hill's mind. And then one afternoon, the three are together in Hill's apartment. Evans is sitting on a couch, drowsy, after a lunch prepared by Ruth Becker, who is in the kitchen washing the few dishes used. Hill slouches in a chair, looking out of a window. Good afternoon, Mr. Jim. Good afternoon. Sleepy? Yeah. I'm going to have to be back in the chair about four. Uh, if I go to sleep, will you... Will you wake me? I can't keep myself awake. Sure, go ahead. I'll wake you about 2.30. I'm kind of sleepy myself. Well, don't forget to wake me up. Okay, here. Keep the 
I got it all right. No, not at all. Come on, let's get it to my apartment. Okay. Not a laugh. 
In a few minutes, Hill emerges, a small green trunk clutched tightly in his arms. But suddenly... There he is. Get him. Lieutenant Appledorn is called in to question him. 
casually, the officer picks up a blank arrest report and proceeds to Hill's cell. Oh, hello there. What are you in for? Oh, uh, for wrecking that house. She had it coming to her. Wrecking that house? Well, according to this report here, you're in for suspicion of burglary. What? Yeah, that's what it says. Goodness. <laughs> let me tell you about it. You better let me tell you about it. Take me order that deal, huh? I don't know why I did it. Wait, now, wait. Are you talking about the million dollar yeah, theater job? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Just tell us about that job. Get it into it. I did it. She never trust me. You get her too. She wasn't in the room. Oh, yeah. Who's better? She never trust me. She and those guys that I trust. Wait a minute. 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 The case are straightened out as Hill continues his story. Ruth Becker is speedily arrested. Without a qualm, she admits having double-crossed the man with whom she assisted in planning and executing the crime. Named Otto Perrin and Frank Marino as her partners in the scheme. Wallace, Laser, and Evans appeared. The four people foiled in their first attempted crime are brought to trial on June 3rd, 1932. The jury, after an hour's deliberation, finds them all guilty of charge. Despite a plea for leniency because it's the quartet's first offense, Superior Court Judge William C. Gordon pronounces their sentence. I have a certain sympathy for these offenders, but I have a greater sympathy for the thousands of others who are just approaching the borderline of crime and are likely to step across unless deterred by ad- adequate law enforcement regulations. I think that the court's first duty is to the state, and I have always thought that the probation law contends that probation shall be an exception and not a rule. Therefore, it will be the judgment of the court that for the offense to which you have been found guilty, to which grand death, you will be confined in the state prison of San Quentin for the term prescribed by law. Thus, by a strange twist of human nature, what might have been a tragic, tragic case of false arrest and imprisonment exposed itself because of a man's temperance. And because James Hill mentioned that one word, robbery, he sent himself, as well as his accomplices, to prison to pay for their unhappy experience with crime as a business. Thank you, Chief Davis. On my way to the studio tonight, I stopped at my Rio Grande service And my Rio Grande dealer gave me the new hateful issue of the Calling All Cars News. There's an unusual detective story of the Peg Leg Terror, an exclusive personal story from Jimmy Cagney, a new crime mystery. It's a very interesting, and your free copy is available at any Rio Grande station. When you buy Rio Grande gasoline, don't fail to specify Sinclair Motor Oil, either Sinclair Pennsylvania or Sinclair Opaline, refined from the highest priced crude oils in America. They are de waxed, de jetted, and sealed in tamper proof cans. Sinclair oils are used in 45 countries of the world, by 150 railroads, by major airlines, and by every type of industry. They are the finest motor oils you can buy for your car. Get police car performance with Rio Grande Crash Japanese. Perfect motor lubrication with Sinclair motor oil. An interesting reading from Calling All Cars News. See your independent Rio Grande dealer tomorrow.
Company Police calling all cars, attention all cars. Cancellation broadcast 175 regarding a robbery. Suspects in this case are now in custody. That's all. Rose and Rose. Narrator, Frederick Lindsley, bidding you good night for Rio Grande.